I think this is probably one of the clearest and one of the most motivating statements that you find in the Bible. It's much more compelling to be a winner in walking with Christ than it is to be a winner on the football field. But it calls us, this passage calls us to be winners in our relationship with Jesus. And Paul teaches us here how to press on. If you back up a little bit in this same chapter, if you go back up to verse number 8, for example, you'll see Paul sets the stage for this philosophy that he comes to. Now, how did he get to, uh, I press on, I forget what's behind, I press on what's in front. Look at verse 8. I indeed also count all things lost for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or or garbage that I may gain Christ. In those verses, Paul says, my desire is that I would win Christ. I count everything else, he says, I count everything else in life to be a loss. Nothing else in this life really matters except my relationship with Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, finally, I want to know Christ. Not just know about Christ. Not just have some uh, superficial knowledge of Christ. But he says, I want to know him. You see, Paul was clearly a changed man. Considering where he had been and the, and the change, transformation that literally took place in his life on the road to Damascus, he was, anybody who knew him, anybody who saw him would have said, he is definitely a changed man. But now what? Now what? Had he arrived? Was there nothing else left to do but sit around and dream? No. He says, Even through all of that, I continue to press on, forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to that which is ahead. I press on. I'm personally thankful for verse 12. We didn't read it, but look at it. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. With a background like Paul's, it would be easy to think that he had his life in order. I met a few people in my life who I refer to as the super pious. They usually are so impressed with themselves they want their own autograph. But Paul says this is not about perfection. This is about progress. Get that. This is not about perfection, this is about progress. Look at it, verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal, not that I am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it, is what it literally says. I press on, what is it? What is it in verse 12? Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of it, of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold. What is it that he's after? One word. Christ-likeness. 
Christ-likeness. He wants to be like Jesus. Our ultimate goal as believers, listen, is to achieve total and complete godliness with no room for improvement. That's our goal. Now, nobody on earth qualifies for that one, right? Part of the reason we have to go through tough times in our lives is because God is refining us. He is preparing us for heaven. My life and your life are still marked by imperfection. I'm an imperfect person. I live in an imperfect world. I'm surrounded by imperfect people. But what is my goal? Press on. My goal is to keep going, keep pressing forward. If you are a perfectionist, you've got trouble with this. There are some people who believe life is supposed to be lived flawlessly. There are some people who believe that everybody ought to be living their life in sinless perfection. That's impossible. Now, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't strive for it, but it's not possible to do that. Paul shows us that in this text. So what's his main agenda? His main agenda here is progress. I desire to see changes in my life every day that make me more like Christ. At the end of this day, I want to look back and I want to see that my life is more like Jesus today than it was yesterday. When I get up in the morning, I'm going to press on so that at the end of Monday, I can look back and say, I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. When I look back at my life a year from now, five years from now, 10 years, if I look backwards at my life a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, I want to say I'm more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago. I've made progress in my Christ-likeness. And that's the road, Paul says, we're supposed to be on. Not the road of perfection. We won't reach perfection until we get to heaven. But progress, progress. Remember this, every day you have a choice. Every single day you have a choice. You can either live like where you are or you can live like where you're going. You have a choice. You either live like where you are or you live like where you're going. And Paul encourages us to live like where we're going. We're going to heaven. We're pressing on, making progress toward Christ-likeness. Once I'm saved, we call that regeneration. We call it um, uh, justification. And you see that if you go back, and we won't do it this morning, but if you go back and read the early part of Philippians 3, you see that idea of justification. That's when you begin the process. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you've been a believer for one year, five years, 10 years, or 40 years, <clears throat> you're in a process. We call that process sanctification. You and I are in the process of being sanctified, and the goal of sanctification is found in verse 10. Paul says, the goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. In order to know Christ, you got to be saved. 
You gotta, be, you gotta go through the regeneration. You gotta be justified. That justification precedes sanctification. You get saved and then you begin this process of living the Christian life. We are made perfect through our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, but as long as we're on this earth, we got a long ways to go, right? No matter how mature you may think you are, you still got some maturing to do. You've not reached it. Paul's goal, my goal, our goal as believers is simply this, I wanna be more like Jesus. Every day, every hour, that means I ought to be, listen, that means I ought to be dissatisfied. I ought to be dissatisfied with my life until I have the image of the Son of God conformed in me. If you're satisfied this morning and you have no desire to go further on with Christ, you have no desire to do more for Jesus, you have no desire to be more for Jesus, you have no desire to be more holy, to pray more, to witness more, to study more, my only conclusion would be that you've arrived and you're perfect. If you believe this morning that you can say, based on my spiritual knowledge, Based on the spiritual experience that I've had thus far in my walk with Christ, I am perfectly like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that this morning, I want you to stand up. Right, I need to sit down myself. Nobody can say that. There's not one of us, I don't care how long you've been a believer, there's not one of us who can say, I'm everything God wants me to be. I'm doing everything God wants me to do. There's no room for improvement in my life. I am perfect. Nobody can say that. So since we aren't perfect yet, if we don't have the desire to be more like Christ every day, then maybe we've got a sin problem in our life. Maybe we're just self-satisfied. Maybe we've just decided, I'm, I'm perfectly satisfied with my life the way it is. I don't have any desire to, to do more in the church. I don't have any desire to, to be more like Jesus. I don't have any desire to pray more, witness more, study more. I'm perfectly satisfied with where I am right now. If that's, if that's the case, then you've got a sin problem in your life. And that's what I see happening in the lives of so many believers and the lives of so many people in church today. We have become self-satisfied. We've stopped reaching forward. We've begun to follow the standards of everybody else around us. We want to be anonymous. We want to just blend in with the crowd. We don't want to call attention to ourselves. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be, refer back in the 70s, those of you who are my age and older, you'll remember the Jesus freaks. Remember that? Oh, I don't want to do that. Lord knows I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to look at me and think I'm a freak for Jesus. I just want to blend in. I just want to go along. I just want to get along. In Revelation, Jesus confronts that. He confronts a church like that. The church's name is Laodicea. That's the problem that they had. 
The problem they had was they thought they had arrived. We got everything we need. We're doing everything we need to do. They thought they had everything. And what did Jesus tell them? You got nothing. You got nothing. You think you've arrived, but you haven't. So Paul has this appetite. He has this appetite for perfection. He wanted to be more like Christ every day. He realized he hadn't attained it. And his desire was, I'm going to strive for it. I'm not perfect. I want to be. I want to be better. I want to do more. I want to live for Jesus more. I'm going to strive for that. Now, how did he do it? Two things he did in verses 13 and 14. Here's the first thing. Write it down. Forget the past. Forget the past. Paul says the joy of sanctification is based on this daily ambition to be more like Christ, and to do that, you have to let go of the past. The past is the past. Forget it. Now, nobody can erase from our memories what has transpired, transpired before, but you can keep the past from controlling your present. And you can keep the past from controlling your future. When God forgives, listen, when God forgives us of our sins, he still remembers what they were. He just doesn't hold it against you anymore. That's what it means when God forgives you. He forgives you of your sin, and he still remembers what it was. He just doesn't hold it against you. It's been washed away. I think I'm correct when I say that nobody has ever reached Christian maturity until they were able to deal with the past. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're stuck today. Maybe you're stuck at least in a spiritual sense. You can't seem to move on. And Paul says the formula for being able to move on is forget the past. Now that's not mind tricks. That's not psychological mantras. That's not wishful thinking. That's, that's not what this is. I believe the kind of forgetfulness that Paul is talking about here is only accomplished through two things, confession and repentance. Forgetting the past is only accomplished through confession and repentance. We must confess our sin. We must come to God and we must say to him, Lord, I have sinned. And then I've got to make it right wherever I can. Whatever way I'm, I'm able to do that, I need to make it right. Listen, Luke 9, 62. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're a runner, I'm not. Uh, Doug, you're, you're, you'll attest to this. Doug's a runner. Uh, if you look backwards while you're running, they tell me you lose speed. You, you don't go as fast as, as you would be going. If you're in a race and you look back, you lose your speed. You also can lose your direction. I do know a little bit about farming. 
Not a lot, but I know enough because part of my job as a child was to tend the acre and a half garden my daddy had in the backyard. And we had an old push plow. You know what that is? It had a big wheel on the front. It had a plow on the back. And I had to go through the garden, and I had to push the, the rows. And here's what I learned. He wanted those rows straight for some strange reason. Uh, and, and, and so I'd get out there, and I'd start pushing. And then I'd look backwards to see if I was going straight. Well, in looking backwards to see if I was going straight, I ended up over yonder somewhere because I wasn't looking where I was going. I was looking at where I'd been. If you're running, if you're farming, whatever it is you're doing, if you look back, if you're not careful, you'll lose. You lose the race. You'll have to plow the garden again. Not that I ever had to do that. But have you ever noticed that your windshield in your car is bigger than your rearview mirror? You know why? Because it's more important for you to watch where you're going than to watch where you've been. That's why. God has a purpose for your life. And of course, all of us make wrong turns. We get off track. We speed up when we should slow down. And, and listen, I've missed a few exits altogether. I understand that. But here's what I know. My purpose in my Christian life is not determined. Listen, it's not determined by wrong turns. My purpose in, Christian, in my Christian life is not based on bad decisions. It's about getting back on track by confessing my sins, repenting of my sins, and forgetting the past. Yeah, you got to learn from your past mistakes. You have to do that individually. You have to do that corporately. Uh, you have to do it as a church. And we need to occasionally take a look back to see what's in our past, and to make sure that that same kind of thing doesn't creep up on us. But listen, you cannot park and live in the past. Somebody here this morning needs to let go of the past. We spend too much time brooding over what has happened to us in the past or what might have been or what could have been. There are some Christians who just can't seem to move on because you're always allowing the past to wipe out your future. It's time to deal with it. You need to get rid of the anger. You need to get rid of the hurt. You need to get rid of the resentment. You need to get rid of the bitterness, all of that in the past, because if you don't, it will ultimately destroy you. I, I, I talk with a lot of people. And it doesn't take long in those conversations for somebody to say something like this. Pastor, I just wish I could go back and undo that. Pastor, I wish I could go back and make a different choice. Pastor, I wish I could go back and, and make a different decision. Pastor, I wish I had followed a different route in my life. Here's Paul's answer. Paul would say to you, I've got a better idea. I've got a better idea than going back. Forget about it. Your sin, if you are a born-again child of God, your sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Leave it there and forget about it. Confess it, repent it, repent of it, and then forget about it. 
But be warned, if you don't do that, if you don't do that, that haunting memory will sap you of all the spiritual strength you got. It'll dog your footsteps. It'll handicap your life for God for the rest of your life. Listen, somebody hurt your feelings. Somebody didn't give you the respect that you thought you deserved. Something happened 10 years ago. Listen, 10 years ago, and you just can't seem to let go of it. Let it go. Let it go. Listen, you can move to another church. You can stop going to church altogether. But until you deal with your own past, you'll never get rid of it. Moving to another church is not going to solve that problem. Stop going to church altogether is not going to solve that problem because the problem is not in the church. The problem's in here. The problem's a sin problem. And you need to confess it. You need to repent of it. And you need to let go of it. Move on. We all have things in our past. Listen, the devil is constantly trying to resurrect things from your past to try to bring that up in your mind and bring it up before you. And here's a message you need to hear. If you have repented and confessed your sin and it is under the blood of Jesus, forget about it. Isn't that wonderful? That is tremendously liberating. But my friend, if you don't forget about it, it will remain with you. It will cause you to be bitter. It'll cause you to be angry with other people. And it, listen, ultimately, it will destroy any ministry that you may have had or may have for the Lord. The devil can't do anything about your salvation. Once you get saved, you're saved. And the devil cannot take your salvation away from you. But you know what he can do? He can steal your joy. And the way he steals your joy is to constantly remind you of your past. If you have confessed it and you have repented of it, God's not going to bring it back up. So whenever it's brought up in your life, that's the devil. That's the devil. And you just need to say, hey, 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 devil. I confess that. I repented of it. I made it right wherever I could. God forgot it. You ain't bringing it back up anymore. I'm going to forget it and move on. Now, here's the second thing you need to do. Forget the past. Reach forward to what's ahead. Reach forward to what's ahead. He says... In verse 13, I've not apprehended. One thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I am reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting the past, I'm going to reach toward the future. That verb for reach here is a word that pictures an athlete who runs without swerving off course, who strains his or her entire body to cross the finish line, I understand that the, um, from what I've read, the, the ratings, TV ratings for the Olympics just a couple of weeks ago were probably at the lowest that they've ever, that they've ever been, but I watched it. Uh, I watched every bit of it that I could find, and uh, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I even watched badminton. 
And I'm going to tell you something. Badminton in the Olympics is not badminton at the church picnic. That's what I learned. In, in fact, they told me, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just think it's interesting. They told me on TV that that, that little thing, the birdie, they called it something else, but the birdie, when them rascals get to hitting it, and the first one, he hits it kind of soft, and then, but then it's on. After that first hit, boy, it's on. That thing travels at over 200 miles an hour. That ain't what we played out in my backyard, I don't think. I couldn't hit it 200. Anyhow, I watched, um, I watched the marathons because that's something I won't ever do. I, I, I guarantee you that. Listen, if you ever see me running, you need to start running. Don't ask no questions. You just start running. If I'm running, you run, and eventually I'll tell you whatever it is that's chasing us because something is after me if I'm running. But I watch these athletes, and, and, and they're running miles and miles and miles. I mean, four hours of just run, 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 and they strain every muscle in their body. They, put, they are 100% committed to this marathon race that they're in. That's the word Paul uses for reaching toward the things that are ahead. That's the Greek word. It is that athlete who is doing everything they can possibly do to win that race. They don't get off course. They strain their body. And for Paul, this was a, this was a spiritual exercise, and it occurred every single day in his life. Paul didn't think about what was behind. He focused on the things that lay ahead. At the time that Paul wrote Philippians, the time Paul wrote Philippians, he still had three more epistles to write. He had a work on the island of Crete to establish, and ultimately, Paul would give his life in martyrdom for the faith. He didn't have time to dwell on the past. He was reaching forward to what was ahead. Notice, notice what he says in verse 14. I press on. That, that word, I, literally is, I pursue. I pursue as my goal that which has been promised to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to remain, you and I need to remain focused on the goal. We need to remain focused on the goal that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus. Athletes talk about being in the zone. And their concentration is so intense when they get in that zone that they, they block out the rest of the world. They don't, they don't hear the crowd noise. They don't feel the pain of the distraction. Uh, they don't feel what's going on in their body. They are so focused on reaching the goal that nothing else around them matters. And that's what Paul says you and I are supposed to do in the Christian life. We're supposed to run the race with our eyes fixed on the goal. The goal is to be like Christ. The goal's not heaven. Too many Christians believe that the goal of the Christian life is just to get saved and go to heaven. That's not, that's not it. And so what ends up happening is they walk down an aisle, they shake a preacher's hand, get dunked in some water somewhere, and they believe that they have gotten saved, quote unquote, 
and uh, there's no change in their life. They don't give up anything that they were doing. They keep doing the same thing that we're doing, talking the same way that we're talking, uh, just living life the same way they always lived it. And they basically sit, sour, and soak until the coming of the Lord. The goal is not heaven. The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is to be like Jesus. When we remain focused on that goal, then nothing else is going to get in our way. Now, Paul does not define the prize, but based on what he has said earlier in, in Philippians 3, I think he's talking about this, this Christ-like perfection. That's what he's running toward every day, to be more like Jesus, to be more like Christ. Not just to achieve salvation, but Paul lived his life, and you and I ought to live our lives every day, thanking God for our salvation. Thanking God that in his grace and mercy, he chose us. He chose us as a child of God. I want to do, because I have been saved, I want to do my very best to live for the Lord. I want to bring honor to the name of the Lord. And that means I'm going to have to separate myself from some things in this world. I'm going to have to separate myself from the filth of this world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We have been called from sin to salvation. We've been called from death to life. We've been called from enemies of God to being the family of God. Don't look back. Press on. Let's close with this. I want you to just bow your head. The invitation this morning is very important, so I want you to listen very carefully. So bow your head, close your eyes. I don't want you to be distracted by anything. I just want you to think about this. I want you to take a little spiritual inventory in your life this morning. I want us to do it as a church. I want us to do it as individuals. It's okay to look at the past. We remember our accomplishments, we remember our failures, we remember our hopes, our dreams. Uh, remember where you came from. Let's give thanks to God for that. Let's give thanks to God right now for getting us through the hard times of life. And we need to learn from our past. A, a wise person will look back over the mistakes of the past and learn from them. I don't want to repeat the sins of the past. But here's what I want you to do right now. Leave it there. Maybe you need to repent of some sin. Maybe you need to repent of some failure. Repent, let it go. Leave it where it belongs, in the past. When we are guilty before God, the answer is in repentance. And if we're willing to turn from those sins, 1 John 1, 9, God is willing to forgive us of our sins. We've repented of those sins. We've done everything in our power to make it right with others. We're clear now in the Lord's eyes. So leave the past in the past. Don't beat yourself up anymore over things that happened yesterday. If you've confessed it, you've repented of it, walk away from it. Leave it in the past. Some of the unhappiest people that I have ever known in this world live their life looking over their shoulder. And that's a waste. Too many churches live their lives looking back at what they used to be 
Too many people in this church continue to look back at trouble that they used to have 10 years ago and they live in the past and, and never let that go instead of reaching toward the future. Too many people live with the I remember when. It's easy to get obsessed with the past, but shake it off. Leave it behind. Now make a commitment right where you sit. Make a commitment that you're going to move toward the future. You're going to reach toward the future. Seems clear to me that in this race called life, we're to face forward. Life was never meant to be a passive coexistence with the enemy forces while we wait to go to heaven. And I know it's easy to do that. I know it's easy to shift into neutral and just try to coast home. But that's not what God called us to do. So here's the invitation. Have you left the past in the past? I mean, have you fully left it there? Moved on? If not, in just a moment, I want you to get up from where you are and I want you to come to this altar and I want you to pray. I'll pray with you if you want me to, but you can just come stand right here or kneel, whatever you want to do. But I want you to come to this altar. And I want you to leave it right here. Bring it to the altar and leave it right here. We're going to leave the past in the past. Here's the second question I want you to answer. Are you making progress in your spiritual life this morning? Are you reaching out for the things that God has for you? Are you keeping your focus on that prize he's prepared for you? Then maybe you need to come this morning, repent of your sin and receive his forgiveness. There's an old hymn, sometimes we still sing it. There's a verse in it that says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That's where we need to be this morning, on higher ground. So whether you need to leave the past in the past, whether you need to press toward the future. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts so that we might be obediently responsive to what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.